I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. HD you are listening to a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Uh, let me flip uh, Vinay's question. A lot of people are also saying that this is also an opportunity. I mean, the, the regular, you know, I mean, the argument that I face, I, I hear every day is, you know, the big will only get bigger. Also, is this an opportunity for you? I want you to answer this and maybe the other panelists can also join in. Sure. It's a great thing. There is an opportunity in every crisis and this should not be known. No, no doubt about that. So I'll talk a little bit from the healthcare sector, what I see as an opportunity. Um, and and uh, as Portia Medical, we work in the outside of hospital healthcare. So we are literally working with patients and the, their families at their homes and provide all kinds of support uh, through either directly to them at their homes or through technology or any other ways in which we can support them. So now suddenly, the the there is a huge change from facility-based care as being the gold standard and people wanting to go into a facility for each and everything. People are really, really taking two, two or three thoughts before they go into a facility because of all that we know. I mean, I don't need to spell out why. It's quite obvious that nobody needs wants to go to a facility unless there is no other choice. Now, this, is, this could lead to a fundamental change in behavior and we are seeing that already people are our customers and a lot of other uh, um, people that I've spoken to talk about their customers are very willing to look at now technology-based uh, healthcare, willing to look at devices that they're in, willing to have community-based healthcare, are willing to do, and we are doing some things which you would have never have dreamt. For instance, carrying out chemotherapy administration at home was something that we always felt is a is something is the ideal, is, the, is something you could reach there. And that's something which is a real change in what the customer's behavior is and what the value that they are getting. They're seeing ask for that. They're seeing people actually pushing us to provide them that. So suddenly in the sector of healthcare, I'm seeing that remote healthcare, uh, digital, uh, technology-led, um, uh, community-led, these are some things which have come in, which were not some which were not absolutely top of the mind in the healthcare sector. The other thing that it also means while I'm talking about these changes, and it is not something which can be done by an individual company. While I agree, it is it is a benefit to some of the bigger players, but it's not a single player, it's not a single kind of company that would uh, benefit from this, but it's a consortium. That different kinds or different elements of healthcare need to come together and provide the most appropriate solution to the consumer. So yes, absolutely, there are opportunities in this um, Time for sure. Hari, let me go to you now. I mean, you have uh, seen many ups and downs, inflection points. You are a uh, very seasoned entrepreneur. Uh, you know, in many ways, uh, we have seen since 2008 and before that, that we have managed inflection points or entrepreneurs have managed inflection points uh, rather well. What were your thoughts, uh, Hari, on when uh, the virus hit us? 
do you did you think that you needed to pivot? Did you think that you needed to overreact, under underreact, or do you did you think that you needed to exercise restraint? When the virus, you know, first hit, you know, we uh, we were first the first thing that we were thinking about was safety, right? Uh, you know, in the sense that you know we need to make sure that uh, you know all of us first 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 get very safe, right? Uh, um, us meaning us and and, and my entire you know, uh, set of employees, uh, you know, 25,000 of them. And so what, what do we first do to make sure that happens, right? At that point in time, we had no clue, uh, frankly, on what the impact on business would be, right? All we knew is that people would need food, right, for sure. Uh, and, and, and there is some way that you would have to, you know, you know, kind of be in there, but we had no clue in what form. So the first thing that hit us was safety. So we quickly reorganized ourselves, you know, Work from home was the first thing that, you know, that came to our minds wherever possible. And we actually got to do that very, very early, right? Uh, so sometime mid-March, we, we completely took that call and moved and moved uh, a lot of our stuff to, to work from home. But however, you know, our, 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 uh, our, our operations can't do that. And you can't sit at home and, and deliver. So we had to, uh, you know, just do all of that. And interestingly, you know, um, uh, 21st, I still remember this, uh, you know, it was, it was crazy. So 21st March uh, uh, was the D-Day. Uh, in the evening, we suddenly started getting a whole host of notifications from the government, uh, you know, saying that, uh, you know, uh, tomorrow is the, and of course, the Prime Minister spoke a little later that, that, uh, that there would be a, you know, um, you know a semi-lockdown uh, kind of condition tomorrow. Um, and uh, you would have to deliver. Right, uh, you know, you're you're categorized under what's called essential services, and hence uh, you'll have to go out there and 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 actually deliver. So we were actually actually pretty thrilled, and you know, we were we were just hoping that something like that happens. We had no clue, uh, but then you know, uh, I will I will not go into the into the whole bit that you know actually what happened. If you know, people were so charged, we actually rallied people on that on that Saturday evening. Actually, frankly, I myself got onto speaking to each of my regional heads, got them to speak to everybody, saying, coming tomorrow to work, right? In spite of all this worries that, that, that we have is, is national pride, right? And, and it, it's, it's almost like, like a duty that I think you must all take on on yourselves because, you know, while the country is going to kind of shut down that day, you are going to be out there, uh, you know, delivering groceries to people. People are panicking. People are worried. You know, people are wondering what's going to happen. You know, unbelievable. People just rallied, actually. You know, uh, and and on at six in the morning on that Sunday, twenty second, we had one of our best attendants. Right? Uh, uh, you know, everybody just came to the warehouse. Uh, you know, and said, "This is this is a great moment." And it was so nice to see that. What happened for four hours after that was sad. Actually, you know, and that is where uh, you know, frankly, uh, at one point, uh, two days later, I. Frankly, all of us in our management team didn't know what could happen to us, right? And we absolutely had no clue on whether we would ever recover from, from what we saw over those three days. Actually, what happened was people went out, there was that communication didn't go to the ground. You know, a lot of our people, there were atrocities, they got beaten up, you know, uh, in, in addition to the fear that was there. And in about two hours on that Sunday, we were, we were, uh, we were pretty, pretty much shut, right? Because everybody had to be called back. Because people on the ground wouldn't let us uh, deliver, in spite of very, very clear instructions from the from the government. And that evening, actually, people clapped for us. You know, uh, people actually, uh, you know, clapped for health workers, clapped for delivery boys and stuff like that. And I was just looking back and saying, hey, you know, 
this is what happened during the day. And 23rd, 24th, uh, 80% of our people went away. 80% of, of the workforce went away. Because that time the borders were open, because the lockdown was announced on 25th. So that window of 23rd, 24th, they went away. And that was a moment which was scary, right? frankly, absolutely scary. We were down to 20% of our workforce, down to uh, you know just about somehow delivering 25,000 orders from a peak of 150,000 orders. Uh, frankly, you know, I had no clue on what's going to happen next. Absolutely no clue. Uh, well, what happened was a very different story. You know, I think the way the government kind of reacted, absolutely outstanding, outstanding, I must say, because you know they got us up and running in two days flat, two days flat. All that we were doing is sitting in meetings with, with very, very senior people, including the ministers sitting there and taking decisions across the board, across the board. And they would take a decision and it would get implemented in a few hours. And that was just outstanding. And we scaled after that, so there was no looking back. Extremely scary, uncertain, 15th March, 31st March. Frankly, I didn't know what's going to happen to our business. So, Hari, here's a quick question for you. Uh, we love our customers a lot. And uh, we also love our employees. And maybe our love for customers is probably slightly more than our love for employees. Uh, we do see the tilt happening now where that the love for employees also goes up more than probably the love for customers. You see that? Actually, actually, I, first of all, I, we, we never saw it that way, right? For us, our customers and employees, uh, you know, uh, have always been at a, you know, at a, at a, at a similar level because, you know, I, if you if you don't have happy good employees, you know, no matter what you want to do with your customers, it's not going to work, right? So 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 you need to keep them on the same at the same level. You can't you can't distinguish you know that. However, yes, of course, we all say customer is king, customer is important, and stuff like that, and and tend to kind of display uh, you know uh, larger uh, you know passion or love for them. Uh, frankly, uh, you know, it's not changed too much except the fact that. Safety, as far as employees are concerned, it was very, very important. You know, the important thing is it's not customer versus employee. It is employee versus business, right? And that is where, you know, we, you know, we made a big difference. And, and we were very clear in every communication of mine to the region, starting from March and even as of, as of yesterday, is that one communication that went across clearly is that your safety is more important to us than business, right? If there is somebody falling sick, if there is somebody, you know, showing symptoms, you know, taking care of you is more important rather than delivering the order which you would have done that day. And that was a clear message. So the difference was that it was safety versus business and not safety versus customer. Because the customer, we would always go back and make sure that he's informed, he's told, and customers understand, you know, at the end of the day, right? Because you're going through a, a pandemic, you're going through a, a, a crazy situation, which is why customers don't want urgent deliveries anymore. All they want is a good delivery, which means a delivery with high fill rate. They're willing to wait. They're saying, just make sure you deliver what we order. Just make sure you deliver quality to us. And that's more important. As against wanting it in one hour and express and faster and slower and, and you know, all that. So customers understand, right? And so getting back to customers was, so, it, so to me, it was prioritizing the employee over business. And that continues today. And that was more important to us. So very, very interesting points uh, there, Hari. So let's, uh, on that note, a lot of... Uh, lot of these things possible. I'm, I'm sure you have your own backend, but for many companies, it's, it's, it's the guys like delivery who be, make the business possible, you know, in times like this. Mohit, how was your experience in this whole situation? Uh, experience, uh, I just wanted to say, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, what Ravi mentioned, right? I would echo his thought is that you know the trajectory was very simple, right? Was very similar uh, that we had. Twenty um, fifth, the lockdown started, right? And uh, at that time, basically all our faces uh, stuck. And challenging time. So, were were there things that you had to do differently to make things happen? That has also evolved over the period. So, the first thing that we had to do was that you know, uh, while most of our network pre-lockdown is essential commodity, right? Whether it's with pharma, we. We probably pharmacy, pharma companies and FMCG companies in the matter of a week to understand where their cold boxes are creating those cold boxes to move vaccines across the country, right? Uh, for critical supply with a lot of FMCGs, basically unorganized, right? Um, so when stuff goes to the distributor and from distributor, basically, were completely shut, right? So the FMCG supplies even to the retailer were basically becoming a bigger problem, right? That stuff out uh, out to the retailers, right? Uh, not again something that we were doing earlier, uh, but again we pulled our network to actually cater to those guys, right? So it was not just about e-commerce, but basically other sectors and how do you help them? Uh, within e-commerce, for example, uh, pharmacy, uh, you know, their basically demands were very high, and pharmacies were not equipped to right now manage that kind of order volume. For that one month of entire April, right, we were the only logistics B two C logistics company which were operating across the country, right. So how do you actually move medicines basically for those pharma companies and vaccines also, uh, or for example insulin for them, which required some sort of cold storage uh, or ambient temperature, right, uh, across cities. So we told the network to actually cater to those kind of things, you know. And now actually when things have settled down. More from a basic requirement perspective, I think most of April was basically consumed by ensuring that you know uh, pharmacy items and FMCG essentials are moving across the country. Right, that is where basically a big part of our focus was uh, to do the Right now, it's more about you know uh, how do you get uh, more of these non-essential commodities also to, to the customer doorstep. Right, as everybody is talking about. Right, that now e-commerce is going to be the go-to. For everything that we need, right? People will prefer basically that you know things get delivered to their home um, uh, as much as possible, right? And one fundamental shift that we are seeing now is that instead of uh, and Amit also spoke about it uh, briefly, is that uh, apart from the traditional marketplace and warehouse model where you know to basically create a reach across the country, right? There is a lot of local demand now which is coming in where you need to fulfill them locally, right? So hyper local delivery. Is becoming uh, a, a sort of a, a bigger sort of a uh, part of our business now, right? So how do you do two hours, four hours, six hours in the delivery, hyperlocal delivery at a cost which is basically viable for the retailer also, right? How do you do more local shipping? So retooling the network, retooling the tech infrastructure to actually basically be able to get to do that, right? So that is becoming also important uh, pivot for us now going forward. Not just with retailers, but working directly with FMCGs to reach out to uh, to their consumers or to retail shops. Amar, let me draw you into the conversation. I mean, was this a big inflection point for for you? What happened at the end of March? Do you think it's going to influence your business in any way? I mean, or is it a blip which you think uh, we have kind of overcome? I mean, I, um, we do believe this is an inflection point for e-commerce. This is not just a blip, um, but it can be a blip if we don't actually act on how do we make e-commerce more relevant to the consumers. Um, for a very long time, e-commerce followed a certain model, 
while the consumer is at the center of every product thinking wave ever day, more than ever, it's the consumer-centric thought process has to be much more prevalent um, than it was ever before. Especially when um, the e-commerce always came with a set of apprehension um, in terms of, especially in terms of fashion. It's an area where uh, most of uh, our consumer base was not comfortable trying a new brand, new style, even though they are the consumers. Forget about the uh, the non-customers of uh, the e-commerce. Even the consumers who were already shopping online had their apprehension buying a different brand, different style, because it always comes with a, a bit of size and fit issue. You don't know how, I mean, the size chart is not standard between the brand. Um, the, the information is not detailed enough between the brand. So there are many things. Now, those apprehensions are overshadowed by the safety and the health uh, concerns of, uh, or, or the uh, inhibition or the apprehension of going out to a mass shopping area at this moment. Um, and, and this is the time when we need to actually step up our game on how do we uh, augment some of the behaviors that were demonstrated in the offline space. Like, for, in fact, we have expedited a lot of our investments we've been doing for a long time. Um, Silent State is one big example. We've been uh, in the business for the last 10 years and more than any uh, other retailer, um, kind of fashion consumption data we have is good enough for us to actually start working on this model. We've been working on this model since I've been a, a pilot on the platform for the last four to five months. We've expedited some of these investments where we can give the conference to consumer that this is the size you should be trying in this new brand, new size, even when we don't have a previous purchase information of that consumer in that brand size. Uh, coming to the supply chain side of things, um, uh, the way we've actually been rethinking our supply chain during this time. Um, in fact, what we've done in the last few weeks um, of how to make the, the whole process a contactless process. They, uh, this, in fact, we were one of the first to say that we will not ring the doorbell. We took away the, the need for signature. Uh, we got the uh, contactless payment, the UPI-based payment method, where people don't have to uh, get in contact with our delivery guy. And this is, this is actually going back to the earlier question you asked about who do you put first, is the employee or uh, the consumer? My answer has uh, always been, this is one of the first things I answer to my organization also. There is one more uh, set of people that we need to be responsible for, which is our vendors and partners. So for us as a business, for us as an organization, employees, our consumers, and our partners are equally important. And we don't believe we can be successful uh, by prioritizing one over the other. It has to come together. And uh, the way we've been working with all the three parties, when we are one of the first companies going to work from home, and we've been working, we've been working from home for most of the organization ever since, um, except the, uh, the, the the critical functions which have to have, have to have a physical presence in the location are the only ones. And even in those locations, the amount of uh, the rigor we are putting to the SOP, uh, I mean, the SOPs we have right now in terms of social distancing norms, uh, in terms of all the local innovations we made on how do we keep people hygiene safe and more importantly, um, how do they get back home safe? It's not just about their time in our facility, it's also about their community time. Um, in terms of our consumers, we did a proactive communication during uh, the first lockdown that. Um, Sorry, we cannot be, uh, we won't be able to uh, um, deliver your products and you're free to cancel your orders and you will be surprised. 91% of them said no. Keep it the way it is and we will wait for our orders. That also gave us the confidence that uh, we've built loyalty over a period of time and there is a need uh, or there is a demand that is not going to die down anytime. 
With respect to our partners, uh, there are a lot of small medium uh, businesses who uh, um, do business on our platform. We are activated marketplace at the end of the day. Uh, and we also have a quite extensive network of delivery boys. Uh, we call it a mentor partner. Again, I don't know how much you're familiar about this network. This is a network of uh, small medium businesses, Kirana stores, Maman Pop stores, who also do deliveries for us during their downtime. Unfortunately, during the lockdown time, uh, their primary business was also shut and uh, we didn't have any delivery for them to uh, earn any money. So we are probably one of the first organizations, if not the only organization, which advanced uh, the payment to them, uh, to our partners. They kind of got a payroll uh, advance so that they can survive this uh, downtime. In addition to that, we were we also got them COVID insurance, you know, um, which was anyway given to all our employees to be extended to our partners in the small medium businesses. So the amount of effort or the amount of uh, investment we made into uh, all these things, uh, is, the only reason behind that is we need to safeguard our employees, we need to retire our business, and we need to reimagine the business. Going back to your first uh, question that you asked, we believe is an inflection point, and we believe all these steps that we are making today uh, will actually help us come out of this stronger. And uh, the way we actually see this going forward is, I know a lot of people have been talking about post-COVID, post-COVID, but I do believe that we are going to be in the COVID world for a very, very long time. And that's how we are seeing the business. And in that COVID world, uh, the digital business have to uh, has a bigger role to play. And uh, we are actually fortunate to be uh, uh, well positioned to play that role in this country right now. No, I mean very valid points. Uh, uh, very valid points, Summer. Uh, I just I have, a, I have a, I'm I'm curious. Uh, of course, we we are all doing our basic hygiene checks, making sure our employees are fine, our supply chains are fine. How are we dealing with consumer behavior? For example, I'm curious to know if, you know, now with the lockdowns being extended, uh, are you focusing more on, say, homeware uh, instead of, you know, high fashion, which has traditionally been your key focus area? Are you are you doing these kind of things, these innovations? Sir? Sure. So, uh, actually, let me uh, take you guys to the day uh, Hari was mentioning about the day before the lockdown was announced. Uh, we were already in work, uh, work from home mode by then. Uh, we didn't know what was the kind of impact that was coming to the business. When the lockdown was an, uh, announced, um, by then we were already deep into protecting our employees, making sure they're all safe. Wherever they are, some of them were traveling, so we made sure all those employees are back to their home places or whatever place they call home and they're close with their relatives and uh, whatever we could do as an organization. Very quickly, we realized that we don't have much bigger role to play in this lockdown when we focus is actually on the attention. Um, and the, the one question that I was getting from the organization is, is there something we can do? Is there something we can do? And Hari, uh, uh, I don't know many people know this, we were this close to actually launching Broccoli on Winter because we thought it's something we can do at this time. And then we realized uh, our friends at Big Basket and Flipkart are doing a better job than us and let's not get into it. Um, but when uh, we started actually looking at um, how our own uh, uh, employees in our XPs were having a hard time getting the mask, protective uh, gear. That's when we realized if a company of this size is having a hard time getting this equipment, what about consumers? So we quickly partnered with all the brands, uh, starting with the Wildcraft to every major brand in the country, right? Now, we talent all these ways, uh, UCB, I mean, you name it. Everybody stepped in and started making masks and protective equipment. And we started, uh, we restarted our business with protective equipment. And, uh, and the way we actually served, and in fact, uh, 
Mohit, Mohit, Mohit and team helped us a lot during those times. So delivery was our delivery partner, where we could actually get this mask out there to the demand. And very quickly we realized uh, the way people are spending their time at home and spending their time in front of a computer doing their work is changing. It, it's much different from the way it was before. And there is much bigger need for this new thing called fashion essential. Your lounge wear, your leisure wear, your leisure wear. Again, we reached out to uh, the partners. And uh, our partners, uh, like always, have been very, very supportive, uh, helped us with the supply. And uh, we came up with the work from home essentials. We came up with fashion essentials, which also gave us some kind of runway for us to stay relevant. And uh, also during this time, one of the uh, things that uh, uh, our teams have done a phenomenal job of transforming Mintra into a content destination. We put out a lot of content on the uh, Mintra platform about how you can actually uh, stay fit at home, how you can, uh, I mean, it's a do it uh, DIY videos about how you can apply beauty products, how you can take care of kids, how you can do yoga, a lot of stuff. And we have a lot of influencers on the platform. We have celebrities who have always been working with Mintra. They also put out a lot of content on the platform. And uh, the kind of engagement we saw, uh, our traffic was quickly up to half of what it was uh, during one of the best days in February, uh, especially when we had nothing to offer in terms of fashion, it was just essential. And the amount of time that was being spent on the platform was almost same as what it was uh, pre-COVID. So people were very engaged with this content. This also gave us confidence that based on all of these data signals, we realized that this is what users are expecting from us. We quickly uh, kind of gave that information to our brand, our in-house brand to act on it. And now uh, we've been operational for the last three, uh, four days uh, with the new relaxation coming in. And uh, there is so much of pent-up demand in the country. And uh, we've, been, uh, we've been very busy in the last four days and uh, happy to be busy. You can't even complain. I mean, it's not going to complain. They're happy to be busy. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's been... Um, it's been a very educating journey for us, more than anything. Hearing all of you and uh, understanding that all of you were kind of experienced the inflection point. Here's what I would like to ask, and anyone in the panel can answer this. Is the era of Jugaad over? Are we only going to not talk of pivot, not Jugaad? Quickly validating your uh, thought process or your solution. I think what is fundamentally changing right now is you don't have to search for a problem statement. Yeah. The problem statements are quite obvious right in front of you. And uh, the kind of uh, uncertainty we are seeing and the kind of chaos that we are in right now, all of this actually breeds opportunity. Chaos always bred opportunity and this is, this is no different. And if we act on this opportunity and, if, and this is the time for the organization to bear um, the time and cost to correct themselves, uh, and question the traditional way of doing things. I can speak, of, speak on behalf of fashion industry. Uh, for a very long time, the leaders in the fashion industry have been talking about how their traditional way of manufacturing is not beneficial, both financially and even for the environment. I mean, there's a seasonal way of manufacturing fashion. And that happens like six months before, or even eight months before the season really hits the, uh, the market with almost no input from the market or the consumer feedback which is the reason why there is a 30 to 40% of uh, overproduction happening in fashion industry today. If you can imagine, this is a $2.5 trillion uh, market, I mean, $2.5 trillion uh, industry, and 30, 30 to 40% of overproduction going into landscape. 
financially and more importantly, not environmentally friendly. Uh, and when this pandemic hit us, it actually hit us in the month of February, which is considered to be a fashion month, especially in Europe. So most of the brands could not order from the, the, the runway show on what they should be ordering for the next year. It gave the time for them to take a pause to relook at how the fashion can force correct the way it has been manufacturing things. We don't have to overproduce. We can actually produce on demand, which is where players like us can help our brand. And that's exactly what happened in the last six, seven weeks. We saw the demand for masks. We reached out to the brand. We saw the demand for fashion essentials. We reached out to the brand. None of those brands are sitting with excess inventory right now because we were, we were not only helping them with what, what needs to be made, we were also helping them how much to make. And this is what a future of uh, a fashion industry could be. And I believe this is the same for every industry. This pandemic did not need any industry um, on its way. So that's what I believe. If we have reached the concluding part of this webinar. I would like to thank all of you. And we're proud to have you. Uh, as a journalist, I would specifically want to thank all the entrepreneurs. Because when we, when we do stories, we realize that the only guys who have a better idea what the future is going to be like are the entrepreneurs because they put their money and life on it. So just follow the entrepreneur. Thank you for guiding us, journalists, and being here on the main pivot of Parish webinar. Thank you very much. This was a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.